Hello and welcome to Raw, the 90s rave podcast. Um, this is part two of our Fabio and Groove Rider interview. So if you missed part one, please go back and listen to that episode first. Hello, you're listening to Raw, the 90s rave podcast with me, Tom Latcham and Chrissy Richards. Get in touch with us on the email. Hello at the 90s rave podcast.co.uk. All right, so we're going to talk about what life was like for you growing up. Um, you grew up in what we would say was a pretty racist uh, South London in the 70s and 80s. Um, what was it like? Can you paint a picture for us? Um, my childhood wasn't that bad, like, initially, until bloody Roots came on TV. And it's like my whole life changed. Like, that came on when I was at primary school and... When that came on, the day after at school, because everything was normal, I didn't recognise colour or anything like that. My parents, like, obviously went through it. But as a child in primary school, you don't know anything. You just see other kids. But Roots came on TV, like, the first the first season, the first proper Roots. And I went to school the next day, and the white kids were calling me nigger. And I was like, what the hell's a nigger? <laughs> I mean, they called me Kunta Kinte, who the hell's Kunda Kinte? Then I watched Roots and I thought, oh, because <laughs> I never knew about slavery and all that sort of thing. Because I was a kid, like seven, eight years old. And I didn't know about any of that. And my whole life changed from that day, man, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? And, uh, that's my entrance into racism. How does it change after that? It's just like, you're just more aware of it. Because you know it's there. Yeah. It was probably there before and I never noticed. Yeah. When you know it's there and everybody else is shouting this and that, because you have to remember back in that day, back in them's time, only three channels on TV. So the, when Roots came on, millions of people watched that. Millions upon millions. Do you know what I'm saying? So my whole life changed, man. I didn't know racism was even a thing. I didn't even know what the word meant. But up until then, it all changed, man. For me, anyway. You, what about you, Fab? What was your school, um, school days you know, like? It's, it's weird because growing up, growing up in Brixton was... Um, which had a real strong black community. So I always felt really safe in Brixton. I never felt um, intimidated at all. But then when you ventured out a mile down the road into Stratton, it was which a, is where I lived. Yeah, it was a completely different story. The the NF had a base in, in on Stratton High Road. And as soon as you it's like there was a divide. And as soon as you crossed that line, it was a completely different story. And my first entrance into racism was when I was about seven. I remember I was really into comics, um, Marvel and DC and all that kind of stuff. And and where I was at school, there were, used to be a train station and we used to have to walk across the park to get to the train station. They always used to have the brand new comics and I was a real fan of Spider-Man, Dora and all that kind of stuff. And I remember I had two white friends, a guy called Daryl and a, a guy called David Cook. And um, once we walked across the park and on the way back, uh, I just remember three white guys on, on bicycles uh, started surrounding us. And I was thinking, what are they doing? And um, they picked on me and, and, and they called me all kinds of names. And, and I always remember they got my bag and there was a Lido, a, a, a swimming, uh, a, a Brockwell Park Lido. And they threw my bag on, on, on top of the Lido and I, uh, was calling me all kinds of names, man. And I was like, I wasn't scared. I was just shocked. It was just shock. Um, they were a lot older as well. And and and, and they were vicious. 
they were very visceral in what they said and, and the question. And then um, also then I remember coming back from Cat's Whiskers in Stratham, which was a, 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 a disco. Um, I was about 14, 15. And um, walking back, I remember one night, I just don't know, I think I missed the bus and I thought I'd walk back. And, and as I said, literally, it was a line. Brixton, as I said, was very, had a lot of big Jamaican community and you felt safe there. But Stratton was, there was, there was, there was black people. I mean, Groove grew up in Stratton. Yeah. But it was, for some reason, it was really, really racist. Mm. And um, I was always told, be careful. I remember my mum saying, if you come back from Stratton, be careful. And I remember a car passing and I remember it was pouring with rain. And as the car passed, uh, as I, I as the car was passing, they drove up onto the puddle, and um, I got splashed with water. And then they they, they were calling me coon wog. Oh, you have to remember, like the time that we grew up, these things were like on TV, like it was normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Do you real. understand what I'm saying? For like, real. Love thy neighbor. People getting called nignog and yeah, Sambo yeah, 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 and all yeah. them kind of. Yeah. it was normalized. It really Out was. Barn, it normalized. Yeah. I, I remember love thy neighbor and my dad watching it. Actually, so, my dad used to watch this those prime time well. TV back yeah. in the seventies. So 80s. we're so we're what forty years on from then ish, a bit more than yeah. that, even 50, 45, 50 years yeah. on yeah. from that. I know recently you did a, a, a Black Lives Matter um, fundraising concert. Uh, uh, 24, did you not do the 24? Yeah, it wasn't for yeah, Black 24, Lives Matter. That was the sickle cell. And, that was sickle right. cell. And, I won't get involved in any of that. Right. Because I, as I keep maintaining to a lot of people, and a lot of people ain't going to like what I'm saying right now, but anybody that was born in the 70s, in the 80s onwards, can't talk to me about racism. They have no concept of what racism is. Mm. This little, there was no, what is it, the PC brigade. There was no PC brigade when I was growing up. Mm. There's so many things in place to kind of, Help you move forward. There were these things weren't there when I was growing no, up. No, there wasn't. There wasn't anything like that. You, think you could have love thy neighbour or the black and white minstrels yeah, yeah, on TV yeah, now. Yeah, 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 it's true. It's and true. people want to talk to me about racism. Yeah. You yeah. have no concept of so what, what that was. So, what you, can I ask? What you what are you sort of saying? That you think that, that racism no longer exists? No, that I didn't say that. I did, what, it exists, but not to the degree that people are saying or I'm working it out to be. I mean, it's still there, and we still have to fight. But we still have to fight. It's we're not. We're not. We're not indigenous to this country right we'll always be looked at as foreigners right which is a shame you feel that i still feel yeah, that yeah right? yeah yeah on, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's what it is oh yeah yeah and I, don't get me wrong it's got better yeah and it will continue to get better as long as we keep building and fighting but it, 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 to say it's non-existent would be an idiot because it is existent but it's not what it was so that means we're making progress i think yeah well you know what you know when when we was growing up the, I, I remember when anti-racism started to be a movement and 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 there was marches but when we were growing up i remember my dad sitting down watching um till death was super part without garnet and when he used to say this thing my dad i don't i don't know if it was out of a nervous thing you got to remember as well our parents were brought in from jamaica we're both jamaican parentage my mum used to have bits of the queen my um, mum loves the Queen. She loves the Queen. She, she loves the Queen. She, she, loves she, loves she, she really loves Diana. Oh, yeah, yeah. She loves the Queen. Yeah, she the loves Silver the Queen. Jubilee. She's still got in that shitting on her mantelpiece yeah, in her yeah, house yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loves my, it. In my dad's house, my mum. Princess Diana. Picture of Loves her. Yeah, passed away. <laughs> but, you know, there's still colonial yeah, things. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. In, 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 you know, the British flag and all that kind love of stuff. It. In the house. But and my dad used to laugh. But then my dad faced so much racism at work. Um... 
he had to get a union to get him out of a really badly uh, horrific situation mm. where he uh, befriended a white woman just as friends. And um, he then, uh, they reported him, basically, for even just kind of speaking to her. And then demoted him to cleaning the toilets. And he was like, I'm not having this. And he went to the union and the union actually squashed it and turned around and went, that is, what you did there was completely unfair. And he tells me stories that make me shudder when I I, I sit down and think, you went through all that. It's like me trying to tell my mum about racism. I can't say nothing to her because what I went through is nothing to what she went through. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nothing to what she went through. But we're making headway, we're fighting, we're getting there. There's still a lot of... There's loads of work to do. A lot of people say um, that some of the subconscious racism, so the racism that people don't even realise what they're doing or saying is is just as bad as as prevailing. I'll tell you you what... this is what I said, you know, you always feed it. And, and it's just the thing that sometimes I get on a train and this is a God honest truth. It's not, I'm not talking rubbish. I get on a train and people won't sit next to me. White people won't sit next to me. And it's not that they conscious that, because I see that look for a split second and they think, oh, I don't want to sit next to me. And, and it does happen. Even the other day when I was walking down the road. How does it make you feel? <laughs> do you know what? got a big train seat to sit in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 no one's sitting next to anyone on any train. <laughs> <track. laughs> <Definitely, laughs> exactly. What is that going to get squashed? I think it's the corona fact. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? Groove can tell you. It, it happens. I remember even not that long ago. It was the other day. When we was at the oh, station. God. The other day. We, 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 uh, we we done an interview. Six did months it, ago. Did, did it at Groove's house. It's God on his truth. And the guy uh, that was uh, interviewing us with a black guy called Marcus, really lovely guy, but he's a dread. So we walked to the train station. He went, can I have a picture with you guys? And, and, he, and I went, well, it's not course. So he asked uh, a man to take and a picture. And his wife, yeah. Man and, his- man and his wife. And the guy just said no. And the way, and it wasn't, look, you can say no, like, I don't want to take that picture, you know, whatever. But you could just, you just know. He just looked at us and was like, "No!" And started walking backwards. Walking backwards, and and kind of, we was like, "We just looked at him." Was like, even you know, something I remember not that long ago. Me and Groove was coming from Rinse FM two o'clock in the morning. Police followed us from Kennington for about two miles, and Groove was like, "Do you know what? I'm going to get out my car and ask him what they're following me for." Remember when that happened? They were following him for two two miles, two miles, and Groove was like, "I'm going to stop the car and I'm going to get out and ask him why they're following me." Did you? No, that's a normal thing for me. Well, it used to be, but yeah, I mean, back when I was growing up, <laughs> I mean, getting stopped was like a weekly thing. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's no, not an exaggeration. Yeah, it was a weekly thing. I was used right. to it. A, a weekly thing. It used to happen to Groove. I, it happened three, four times with me and Groove coming back from rage. Yeah, just like they just follow us and 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 you know. And sometimes Groove does stop and go, "What? Why are you following me?" Yeah, I mean, like what it is with me. I won't be bitter about it because I'm not going to convict the sons for the father's crimes. I'm going to teach the son a better way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. I don't want to get into all that, man. Do you know what I mean? I'm over that. Do you know what I'm saying? People are what they are. If you like me, you like me. If you don't, you don't. If it's because of my colour, that's your problem. If it ain't, then did, you just don't like me. I did don't really your, um, your experiences of racism when you were growing up have any impact on your drive to be successful in the business that you chose, which obviously was DJing? No, so, but there's another thing about me and Groove as well. You've got to remember, we was in a predominantly white scene. We were two of the only black DJs. Yeah. We've broken a lot of ground. Yeah, we've made headway for black we've people. Made, we've music. made a lot of, we've broken a lot of ground. We played in clubs 
that never ever Look, remember black still DJs. Now, we go to countries where they're the only black person in the country. Oh yeah, that you, you you literally go into a country <laughs> and you don't see another black person. You don't even see another black person. You know, you I went see. to China. I didn't see one black person. I was there for five days. You're very tall as well. I mean, you must have really stood out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you really stood out, and I'm really dark right, as but, well. You know, as I say, you don't you don't think about it because we're growing up with so much worse. It's, That's it's, nothing. It's it's, it's 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 in your subconscious now. Yeah. It's just there all the time, and it's 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 just something that you I don't walk around thinking oh I wonder if he's racist I wonder if you've got to show me that you are for me to even think about it do you understand what I'm saying but there's people walking around that are thinking it before you've even done anything yeah, yeah. but you you created that jungle sound you were the precursor you you were the only people you know the only black people in the scene at that time but then jungle became a very well we're not uh, talking uh, about jungle we're talking about from before jungle we're talking about the, the acid house days yeah. yeah. into the jungle and it became a very uh, uh, predominantly black scene yeah. and you know all of the you know the, the greats in those early days mm. were uh, were black and there was a lot of uh, reggae yeah, influences. I mean, white cetera, people had just as, just as much influence in the early jungle days as black people. And that seems to be forgotten for some reason. They've got to remember who was pushing the buttons and making those tunes. It wasn't just black people. Yeah. You know, you've got to remember Jungle's labels. a universal thing. Like, jungle Shadow together. and yeah. all of those labels, you know, Rob Playford and all of those guys. Look, when, when we first started in Acid Our Scene, you know, we came out of, you know, Thatcherism and, and a really quite a dark time. And 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 this changed everything because it was the first time we saw black and white people. And yeah. I'm, I'm I'm being totally honest with you. It was the first time that color didn't really matter. It really didn't. Even when we was going soul clubs, it was the black guys that were dancing. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And it was kind of like, and it was the, the black guys that were getting left outside as well. The, the black guys that <laughs> were getting left outside. Get clubs that get into we were the clubs. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? And and this was the first time where it was kind of like unified. You know, we had the ICF, you know, the West Ham, you know, uh, lot, the, the mob. They used to come down rage and they used to love it. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, you could just, it was it like... Broke down. It wasn't just nationality and race race state broke down. It broke down the terraces. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it Hooliganism was a big thing. Yeah, 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 but yeah. When the, when, when the football was finished, them boys would be in the clubs hugging each other. Yeah, well, on, on E, yeah. off their nut. Do you so, know what I'm saying? You know, it wasn't just <laughs> that. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, so it broke down a lot of barriers. So... You know, black and white producers, and 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 you know, it's always been really mixed. The crowds have always been mixed, and well, it does bring me on to a question we were going to ask about. There was a there was a recent drama based documentary, and it caused a bit of a rancor among some of the original DJs uh, who were black, who said that they felt that the that the documentary had, in effect, whitewashed the scene. It sounds like you don't necessarily agree with no, those no, because that was producers, and they they just kind of got the yeah, the, they got the wrong end of the stick, man. Do you know like, what? I don't think they were everybody's saying that. got a different story to tell. I think they were saying certain labels, yeah, were left out. They were left out. Yeah, they were left out. I don't think it was so much of a race thing. I just think they felt like certain big labels were were left out, and they didn't get the love that they deserved. But you know, that was more about production. That, yeah, that, that whole, that whole and I thing, think people yeah. got the whole thing a bit skewed. And they got well, it in right. that case, in terms of the the modern drum and bass scene, mm. do you think it still has that same uh, color blindness? I suppose you know that that it, that it is a mix, and people don't see that color in 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 the way that, that back in the day, you know, you're talking about those early scenes, or is there? Are there? Has it changed? I think now. I think now, the urban kids are just not into it. It's just not. It's just not their thing. They they've got grime. They've got drill. They've got 
they've got other Af- things Afro that they soul hip hop. You know, that's what I'm saying, which is much more catered towards a black sound. DMB is a little bit more universal. You know, you could never sit down and say drum and bass is a black sound, or you couldn't say it was a white sound. You know, it's it's got that balance now. Um, so there's a lot less. You know, my daughter's who's mixed. She says that you know she tries to get her black friends into drum and bass, and then just not into she's it. Just they're not just, into it. Yeah, they're just not into it. They're just, just like you know. she even went to a party the other day, and um, she put on a drum and bass mix, and they were all kind of. Well, to be totally honest with you, if I was a youth growing up now, with the, my household and my the influences that my parents had given me, I probably wouldn't listen to drum no, and bass either. Yeah, yeah, for real. No, I know what you're Why? saying. Because it's just not, it's it's so far removed from a reggae sound or a soul yeah, sound. Yeah, true, true, true. It's so true. far removed from jazz. True, 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 true. You which know, was these it? kids are growing up with Pendulum. They're, that's their influences. Yeah. So and Andy C and exactly. and and, 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 and you know, different influence. It's a different influence. And, and you're right. Us as well. You know? Yeah. No. It, I probably wouldn't like it. Either. I would probably listen to probably. A, you know, I've been listening to Wiley or or some other British hip hop. Saying that like. though, I think you know, even when we got into house, when we got into house, that was not a black thing. That at was all. not a black thing at all. Even but, though black people were making that. Even music. though black people were making it, I remember I we both brought black friends to house clubs, and they were like, "Are you mad? Like, what? What are you crazy? Are you listening to this?" Yeah, and we were properly, you know. You know, people were making cross signs at me like I was listening to devil, devil music, music and yeah. shit like that. That was a real thing. Yeah. And, you know, you're betraying your soul roots. Back, also, back then, House was, you know, really friendly to gay people. You know, gay people used to love that music. Yeah. Back then. I still do until today. But it was really associated with the gay, that gay, the gay scene. Gay scene. Yeah. But we're straight. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it didn't really matter because it's a music. You know what I mean? We were just into the music. and, and it, but, but it wasn't, seen as black music at all yeah. you know especially if you was coming from soul and funk exactly and listening to acid acid but, you know we called it acid and, yeah, and stuff but like that i saw the similarity between disco and house yeah. music there's yeah. a real similarity there yeah. to me yeah for real. you know what i'm saying that's probably why it, true I, i'd stepped into house music yeah because i used yeah. to love that disco funk and it was all like the same thing to me but just had the four on the floor the futuristic piece. kind yeah. of take on it yeah I've always been into cutting edge music and the next thing and the next level the, the next bit of machinery what's going to make you know that's, just, that's what I am that's what, I, that's what it is for me that's what music is can I hear some noise inside the place please some noise you've been listening to Raw the 90s Rave podcast with Chrissy Richards and Tom Blatcham we hope that you've enjoyed laughing along with the legends Fabio and Groove Rider so far Now here comes the money bit. We are three average people with expensive children and busy lives. We want to bring you more fantastic future content, but we need your help in order to do this. We've set up a GoFundMe page and you could become a part of this fantastic and exciting project documenting the 90s for less than the price of a posh loaf of bread. Head on over to GoFundMe.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast and help us to make history. So we touched on how much the music scene has kind of brought everyone together, but we think a big part of that in the 90s especially was drugs. And so were you ever dabblers in that area? I've never done an ex, I've never done ease and never done never, coke. Never done Why? anything. You're not curious? 
No, it wasn't, to be honest with you. You know what That's it is? That's a shame, because I've got a bag for now. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was going to get on it. We've got to get on the decks afterwards. I have a lovely joint. time. <laughs> I've always smoked joints, you know what I mean? That's my thing, That's you know what I mean? Thing. But the hard drugs and all that. He doesn't drink, I, I don't drink, drink, I don't do drink, anything. But the drugs thing, is my dad that made me not do that. Because he always told me, like, if you take drugs, you're gonna be you're gonna be addicted. You're gonna be a crackhead or this shit. And that really, no matter what, I know it sounds stupid, but it resonated. But it resonated, and yeah. it's always stuck with me. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if I take that one pill, Thing, I'm gonna be addicted. <laughs> I'm always feeling, I've got. Resonated. I'm gonna let you into a secret. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Fab? Yeah, I dabbled in the early days. I dabbled in the early days and it just so wasn't for me. Well, you got told off and that was it. Was yeah, it, was it that in your car? Was yeah, that yeah, in yeah. Got to, I got, got told off and, and, I, and I really did think it would affect me professionally. Um, I couldn't do it and, 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 and some people can and some people still are. Some people are still, still do. Some people yeah, are yeah, still yeah. going. They still yeah. cane it what and is? DJ. Who's the biggest caner in the scene? Oh, oh no, I'm not really. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't really associate with those likes anyway. So I wouldn't know. But how important were drugs to that, oh, that burgeoning uh, dance music yeah, scene in the know, early, early late eighties, early nineties? Was very important. Yeah, too. I mean, like obviously, ecstasy's got a lot to answer for. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, you know, the, I remember the early, early days when you know people used to say, uh, you know, um, have you heard of ecstasy? And this was about 86, 87. And, and it was just it, it was just becoming a thing. And then the music happened. And then the two kind of came together. And it became a big thing. Like, you know, it, and it was new. It was it was new. Like tea and biscuits. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was a new thing. So, you know, you, and people were young and they were experimenting. And it went along with the music. And so everything kind of had a synergy. It, it does influence music, doesn't it? Because actually there was a period in Jungle where crack cocaine became quite a big thing and there were certain raves where it was it was dark and heavy mm. and a lot of that was to do with crack cocaine and it put a lot of people off at the time yeah. and I think actually that was a period where Happy Hardcore sort of became more popular because it was more welcoming and, and friendly so uh, what, what did you think at that point of, of, of Jungle? Well, it just you were got, it, to these clubs, right? Jungle, and, jungle went messy. There's no two ways about it. I mean, it got to the stage where we had to boycott going to Birmingham because it was oh yeah there was there was a couple of trouble Matt, just a couple of really big in, serious incidents as well yeah. with people well, that it was we the, know. some of the gangs right and you like you could hear on some sets you know like baseman going if you don't stop shooting oh I'm yeah no, stop that, the that, rave. that, that like, was like that for real it really was you know even even in London I remember Voodoo Magic there was a bit of a shootout in in, in the club in Camden that time was it uh, was Camden Palace uh, Camden Palace. What was that thing called? Um, what was Wilson? I can't remember. What it was. was it? Wasn't um. It was a shootout, shooting a shootout on the dance floor, innit? And they're shooting up in the end. Yeah. What did you? What did you? Th- I mean, you, you said oh, I've got to boycott it. What did you think when you were at a rave like that and there's people shooting each other? Did you think oh, I'm, I don't know, but I don't know yeah. about this. This is not what oh, it's yeah, about, of course, really. Of course, of course, you thought that. But then, fortunately, I've never actually been involved or like been at a place when it's actually happening, so I've never had that trauma. But um, I mean, didn't, happen, didn't something happen at Leicester in Leicester one time at Starlight, innit? Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there was no actual shooting, but we knew the things were there. Yeah, yeah, you know oh, what right. I'm saying? Yeah, they yeah, just yeah, stopped yeah. the party and all that. I yeah. think also, didn't you have something? Was it the laser drone in Peckham? No, nah, well, I, I, had a, I had an incident. This is Paul King's size of a producer, by the way. <laughs> I, I went to a, in a sense, a laser yeah, drone, yeah, like yeah. late 93. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, that, that was, and I know, a real eye opener for me that night, but I had one instance at um, Paradise Club. Parkfield Street, Islington, AWOL, mm-hmm. 94. Mm-hmm. Someone just pulled a gun out on the dance floor. 
and literally just like, everyone just ran but the guy <laughs> just stood in the middle just holding it up in the air and, and like I just, I just remember how the hell did he get it in yeah, because yeah, the search no, that night that's the only search I've ever had where I actually had hands down the front of my trousers yeah, and he still yeah. got a gun in yeah it's just insanity and it's not at all what the music ever was about no it was it was scary times and luckily do you know what it, drum and bass then went through jungle went through transition and kind of it kind of got a lot more technical mm. and you know then we had the ed rush era and and then liquid the early liquid stuff and fortunately that crowd left us and and, and went to the went to the garage scene they went to the garage scene and, and you know so a lot of people were wondering i mean they, they sound like the worst kind of raves you've been mm. to i would imagine if if not yeah that, what, what, what the fuck raves have right. you been to that, that wasn't the worst some of those raves were kind of bad yeah yeah because you had this kind of like you see kind of somebody like. shooting in the air that, <laughs> well, in some country that's, really that's, that's to celebrate a yeah, yeah, sign of celebration so. yeah, appreciation. i'm doing a good job shooting in the air and shot at two different things so what were your what were your favorite raves uh, and why? Uh, there, the, there was some. Look, there's. Orange, I'll tell you what, a, a place that doesn't get mentioned enough uh, Orange at the Hippodrome and at the Rocket in Holloway Road. Yeah. That that was that was amazing with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, yeah. Um, uh, Groove turned me on to that night, actually. Um, and that, that yeah. was that was sick. And Rage, of course. Yeah. Rage, you know, Rage was, was you know, the, the seminal um, night. Uh, and then, you know, Metal Eds, Speed. The nineties were great for 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 nights, you know. And then also you've got to remember things like Dreamscape, um, in in Milton Keynes and um, Helter Skelter, Helter Skelter yeah, in Birmingham. Yeah. There were great great nights there. Yeah. Um, Pandemonium, um, Amnesia. Oh yeah, it was it was good. To, literally every weekend we were having kind of life changing moments. Oh yeah, and the formation parties, the formation parties, and you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was so much, so was much it? going on, and and they were all we're talking big parties, one two thousand easy, and you get them in easy. Like it's it's not even like now we've got social media. This was all word of mouth and flyers. Do you know what I'm saying? So it was a different time. And who were your favourite DJs and MCs? I liked everybody that you know what I always respect DJs that go up in there and do it, do their thing. I can't just pick out people that I like because that wouldn't really be right and probably wouldn't be accurate either because there's good and bad in, in, in lots of people. Obviously, me and Fabio are the best. <laughs> <laughs> but any inspirations? But not, not, our inspirations come from earlier, like Paul Anderson yeah. and, and, you know, and guys like that. But, you know, I've always had a lot of admiration for Carl Cox. I've always had yeah. admiration for his spirit, his energy. And even when you see Carl now, you know, he's still got that mad yeah. energy man he loves and it man. Actually, I think 100 Slim grand a gig will do thing. that he Slim loves Matt, it Slim Matt said exactly yeah, the same I don't think Carl he's got Cox. anything to do with the money Carl Cox would do this shit for nothing <laughs> oh man. yeah he really would no he really would 100% the really money would. does help a yeah. bit doesn't it yeah, yeah but I think you know, if Carl's anything like 10% of what I am he'd do it for nothing do you know what I'm saying? I, I'm I'm still shocked that I'll get paid for this it's like wow shit yeah. do you know what I'm saying so I, I can't believe that Carl would I've seen Carl Cox when I was 15 years old. I used to go and watch him when oh, he wasn't getting paid. Yeah. yeah. And he's saying? still, he and was still, still the exactly same energy same. that he's getting today. And um, it's, yeah, it's amazing. See, I saw his podcast. With the, uh, he'd done a live stream the other day where he was playing Bunk and Because yeah, of his dad. Yeah. And he loves it, man. You could just see it on his face. Absolutely loves it. In terms of records, uh, what do you remember the first rave record you bought? 
As in, as in rave music tune. Do you remember the first rave music tune that you bought? The first house tune I bought, which is probably considered the first rave tune, I suppose, was Mysteries of Love, man, Mr. Fingers. Yeah, mine too. That was mine. And what, do you, we're also going to, we, we want to talk to people about record shops because they were so integral at the time because it was before the internet. It was before, you know, anyone can sell a record now online. Yeah. Back in the day, you know, you had to go and get it pressed. Get it. What was it What was it like hanging out in record shops? Where would you go and, and, and what was it like hanging out in those record shops at the time? I used to go to my price in Croydon and uh, it's funny, like, I can actually remember buying my first house tune. Because um, I went in there to buy a public enemy tune, Rebel Without a Pause, and it was coming in on import that day. So I was just hanging around in the record shop waiting for it to come. And this guy was playing some music, man. I was like, what kind of music is this? But it sounded like funk, but it wasn't funk. I was like, what kind of music is this? And the guy goes, yeah, this is house music. I was like, what's house music? Play me some more. Took all my money, man. Took all my money. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And when Rebel Without a Pause came in, I didn't even have the money to buy it. <laughs> So like, yeah, I blame Jazzy M. He's the one who sold me my first house tune and it's his fault why I'm still doing this today. How important were record shops to the that, that music scene? Oh, everything. Record I mean, shops were the most important. Well, there's no music if there wasn't any record shops. Yeah, I mean. Digital wasn't about then, you know. They were also places where people would just go to hang around and have yeah. a chat yeah. and find yeah, out yeah. about yeah, what's exactly. happening It was soon. a social thing. It was a social thing. You went down there, you met everyone and... And you know you got your records and, and listen to records that you you ain't gonna get either. That's another thing that used to happen because they, they used to have their special right. DJs that used That's to come right. in the shop, and you wasn't be able to get you. So you'd have to hang around to li- just listen to tunes that you were never gonna get access to. To get what I'm saying, so that was another reason you'd hang around in a record shop because certain DJs get preferential treatment. And then you know that that was something to aspire to as well. Yeah, because you used to think I'm gonna be that guy one day. Because, you know, you used to get the big DJs used to come in and just get a bag of records and that was supplied to them. And they used to, and we used to just have to queue up. Yeah, and get their knockbacks. Yeah, get the knockbacks <laughs> and wait six hours to hear one tune. And then we we became those guys. Yeah. Walked into a record shop, get your bag of records and walk out. Yeah. What you don't like, you bring them back. And and that's, that's when, I honestly think, the moment that happened to me, I remember one day I walked into Black Market and a guy called Dave Piccioni, who was uh, uh, one of the owners there, he gave me a bag of house tunes and I just thought I've made it now. That's it. That, that, that was a massive moment for me. I really felt like, cause I always wanted to be that guy that walked into the record shop and got a bag of records. And what about pirate radio? Um, your career, your career is very much came I mean, through private radio. Yeah. We talked about the importance of, of record shops. What about pirate radio? Just as important. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that was the outlay for it was the outlay for the music. Yeah, you know, you were spending all your money. You have to remember, music wasn't cheap back then. You and, know. and then you were, you wasn't hearing these things on mainstream radio either. You weren't hearing these tracks on mainstream radio. So pirate radio was the was you know the the the, the outlet. You know, and what for, was it like? We've got an image of them being in a squat and you're climbing for a hole and yeah, your that's exactly what it was like. that's pretty much it, man. That's what it was. Yeah, and you'd be scared like that. The DTI was going to break in any moment to come and snag your records that was always the problem always the problem. always what you're going to be thinking about in the back of your mind as soon as you went in that studio you want to do your show and get out of there anybody's coming late you're fuming if somebody comes in late because you just want to get out of there and you've got to remember it was stealth you'd have to do it undercover because it was like where we used to go was next to a, a, a tiny club and, and the owner of the club had it upstairs and he was like you know make sure you know you so you 
walk around like the Macintosh looking around, seeing if anyone was behind you. And you'd walk in and literally run out. Because mm. the DTI, who mm. were the, the overseers of, you know, you don't remember, sometimes we was cutting into Capital Radio. Mm. So you couldn't oh, even the listen BBC. on the BBC. Yeah. I mean, they still like, do it now, BBC One, yeah. all of a sudden, they'd be hearing like some jungle. And, yeah. and, and they didn't look stuff. on that fondly either, did no, they? That, that's what <laughs> the Especially thing when you were getting a better signal than there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and playing better music, basically. <laughs> and playing better music, yeah. Well, I mean, it did get more glamorous for you eventually, uh, thank God, which yeah. uh, you must please. But what what is it like being uh, a DJ that flies internationally? Do you go first class? Do you insist on that? We used to. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Did you? No, things have changed now. Things, things have changed a little bit. When did they change? And then you think, hang on. <laughs> when, it, when it didn't become important to us anymore. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Flying, do you know what? Travel, traveling is, 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 is great. It's tiring, but, you know, to go to another country. You know, you, you go to countries that you never dreamed you'd go to. Go remember, we're two lads from South London. You know, traveling was... When I was younger, I, I didn't travel. I know a lot of my friends used to go, but I, I went to Jamaica once when I was five and I hated it. Mm. And, and that was it. That was my traveling experience until, you know, raves happened. And then, you know, uh, traveling became a real thing. Our next question, have you ever had to share a bed? <laughs> well, there's no glamorous trips. Never. Never. Oh, what you've never got turned up and there's only one hotel room booked yeah I slipped on the floor in the bath <laughs> <laughs> I remember no, once in Greece they, they only had um, so I slept on the floor and, and that was it you refused to share a bed was it a double and you didn't let him no it was a single I was just thinking oh, that's well, fair there enough. you go that is fair so it, it wasn't going to happen in terms of uh, trips that, that have gone wrong and I, I don't want to dwell on it too much but Groove Rider was once jailed in yeah. in Dubai you had a small amount of cannabis on you and you were looking at four years you've talked about it in the past Groove so mm. I'm I'm kind of interested more in Fabio's take on it how did you feel when you found out that he might be fake you know your, your pal your brother yeah. uh, you know the guy that's your, your partner in crime the partner in work how did you feel when you thought he might be going away for four years here yeah it was you know it was it was, it was a devastating time and we were all it was everything no one really knew what was going on you know you, you heard certain stories and you heard horror stories because basically it became a thing you know it wasn't just groove it happened to a lot of people a lot of people were getting incarcerated for really minor things. And I heard some horror stories. So we were all really, really worried, really, really worried. And um, when, when group got out, it was, it was just, it was the best feeling in the world, man. It How was, did you both celebrate? Um, we had a big party for Groove in Camden, um, which, which kicked off not really nicely. And, 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 and yeah, that was it. And uh, how did you feel when you were released? Because obviously you were, you were a father to an eight year old daughter at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I don't know, man. I actually just look at it like shit happens. What are you going to do? You're not going to get it back. You ain't going to get it back. You the know? one thing I knew yeah. that he would be all right though, because he's got his, his constitution is, 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 is very, very good. So I knew he was going to be all right. If that was me, I, it had it, been a real problem. Groove would have worried about do you me. You'd have broken down. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt, I, I knew Groove was strong enough. He's he's, he's mentally very very strong. But <laughs> to be that, honest with you, I didn't even know I needed so much rest. You know, <laughs> a bit like lockdown. Yeah, I mean, like you, I didn't do anything wrong. Just and I'm, that's what I always got in my head. I didn't actually do anything wrong. It's just like one of those things. 
just nonsense, absolute nonsense. Any other country, mm. nothing would have happened to me. They would have just laughed it off, thrown it away and like done what they've done. But, you know, it is what it is. They did laws and whatever. So, yeah, it happened. Uh, we had one question, by the way, I want to ask, because we, we've invited questions. And there's a guy on Twitter called Escaping Music. Uh, and he wanted to ask uh, about General Levy. Uh, and the uh, tr- there was an issue around him tr- sort of trying to claim that he invented Jungle. Well, I know we all know, boys, it was you. So, um, th- and there was apparently a group of leading Jungle DJs at the time in 1994 who came together and uh, said, we need to deal with this. Oh, was that were, you the, part, were you part of that group? The foundation. Yeah. Is that what that was? Yeah. Were you part of that group that came no. together? No, 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 no. I was no, man. They no, no. They, they, they got, you know, it's really funny because they got funny with me because um, I was playing music that was tagged by Mixmag to be intelligent drum and bass. And and they got really pissed off about it. And they called a meeting uh, to, to sort it out. And so, but yeah, the foundation, oh, you know what? We weren't in it. So yeah. I've got nothing to say about that. I mean, General Levy made incredible. And it was, it was, it was an incredible know, tune. So yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, crack on, it. crack on mate. Okay. This is Raw, the nineties rave podcast with me, Chrissy Richards. And me, Tom Latcham. Hello, you're listening to Raw, the Night's Rave podcast with Fabio and Groove Rider. Another feature we're going to be running here on Raw is uh, Tune 101. Chrissy came up with that name. It's quite good, actually. <laughs> uh, where one of our guests selects, or where each of our guests selects uh, a rave tune that they hate and they should think should never have been made and it's going to go into the bin. Oh, it's a rave tune. Tune yeah. 101, your rave tune indeed. So, oh. chaps, what is the worst rave tune from the 90s that was ever made and should be banished to history? Um... I'm sure there was a Titanic, the Trumpton tune. Oh, oh yeah. phase two. <laughs> Trip to Trumpton. Suddenly. I thought, I thought the flip of that was okay, personally. <laughs> what was the flip? Well, it was basically the same thing, it but without the all thing. the cheesy samples. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was know, basically the, good the break. The other side of Trumpton was all right. The flip side was like that. It was quite cheesy, know. though. But that Trumpton tune that hit the charts, it wasn't for me. Okay, that's in tune 101. What about you, Fab? There was a, there was a jungle version of the, you know, the monkeys theme tune. Right, the monkey's theme tune that was actually made by Rampage. Okay. They made it and we slagged it off once on our Kiss Fem show and they they got really funny and then he kicked off. <laughs> I, that. I don't remember. I remember that. Uh, well, there you go. That's tune 101 with Fabio and Groove Rider. We are still here with Jungle and Drum and Bass legends Fabio and Groove Rider, but alas, our time together is coming to an end. That's a very shame. I've really enjoyed myself. Yeah, yeah. too. Yeah, I've well, well, really, really enjoyed it, Tom. We haven't t- really talked about um, mod- the modern, uh, how you are now, and actually yeah. we want to know about that because this is an incredibly tough time for all you all you DJs, yeah. and you know, our heart goes yeah. out to you because uh. your bread and butter is playing out and that's just not yeah, possible at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what, tell us your feelings on that. Sad, sad, but you know, life is more important. You know, we can fix these problems later on down the line. You know, it's tough at the moment for everyone, and you know, but also the thing is as well. You know, it's it's everybody. Yes, it's not. That's the one thing that that always makes me feel like you look. Everybody, yeah, every, really. every, everyone was in lockdown. Yeah. Everyone's going through difficulties. You know, you know, DJs that were going out for 20, 30 grand are now in difficulties. So yeah. we're, we're luckier than most. Exactly. Um, there's, there's a lot of people that are 
mentally I've been okay, which is there's a lot of people mentally that are not Breaking okay. Down, yeah. And, and, you know, uh, a lot of couple of people that I know that are not okay. So I've still got a lot to be thankful for. Yeah. Um, the scene, you know, things, hopefully, yeah, you know, it's all, we've got our lives and that's the important thing. There is a concern that the, that the racing from a lot of people will never return back to normal. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think it'll know. just go back knows, to the way man. it was? I don't, not right now. It's, you know, not, it's, it's going to be in, in, in small steps, but yeah. You know, I'm just glad that I've had the years that I've had. You know, if it doesn't go back to it, I don't really know what it's been like. So I can only speak for myself and I've loved it. So, you know, at least I had that. Yeah. You know I mean, even if it doesn't go back to how it was, but, you know, you can't deny music, can you? That's well, just... But raves must be the hardest thing to do because it's full of sweaty people sharing bottles of water, jumping around, uh, you know. Well, people and... are going to have to take responsibility for themselves, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to go out raving, you've got to be responsible about it. I mean, we done a live stream yesterday and we got temperature checked. We had to put hand sanitizer on. We had to put check-in times and we were coming. This is to do a live stream with nobody in there. Yeah. What? Yeah, we had to do temperature checks. Wow. We had to do check-out times, check-in times. All the equipment had to be wiped down before each DJ wow. went on. Yeah, uh, we had to had use hand sanitizer before we went in. What's in there? It was, it was just me and Groove in there. It was yeah. like, what the fuck was that all about? Yeah. But, you know, that's, it is. that's the and new normal. This is, got this get is used the time we're in, isn't it? You know. look, look, I remember when, you know, I remember uh, in, back in the day when AIDS happened and everyone was like, we've got weird condoms now. And I was like, what, what the fuck's this? And you just got to, I remember smoking in clubs when you couldn't smoke in clubs anymore. You Everybody just, thought that was going to crash. Every thought, everyone <laughs> thought that's going to be it. And you know, I remember the first night I was like, this ain't going to work. This is going to destroy because all of a sudden everyone was going outside to smoke cigarettes and it left this gaping hole. In, and I was like, how's this going to work? You get used to things and whatever regulations come in, people have to just get used to it and, and, and things will just carry on. I know obviously it means that there's less money for you at the moment and that's obviously going to be tough for you, but have there been any positives, you know, the, the, the not having to go away all night, you know, to, not having to, to go abroad and that sort of stuff. To be totally honest, I've been sleeping since February. I mean, <laughs> you're definitely not going to catch it. Then. I didn't know I was so tired. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. You did. You, I, I, I was saying that the other day. I was like, Right, man, it's July. It's like I've only just woken up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise I was. I've been getting up think, at three uh, o'clock in the afternoon. I just <laughs> like, <laughs> a lot of DJs, do you think, appreciated a, a bit of a rest? Yeah, yeah I think a lot of them did. Yeah, a lot of them did. I think everyone that said that that you know, didn't know a little bit of time to to think about seeing the wood for the trees, and you know, when you're when you're working constantly, sometimes you really haven't got time to really process anything. So, well, you created the jungle scene. So, as we look back on that on on the nineties, finally, and because that's what this uh, podcast is all about, you created that jungle sound. Did you have any idea that it was going to be no. as big as it has? I mean, you know, no. it's huge festivals. No. Who could have been? Who? What innovator knows their product's going to be as big as what they becomes? Nobody knows that. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Oh, really? It's amazing. Do you know what? Me personally, I don't even sit and think about it. I'm just trying to think about what we can do next. That's that's, that's what I'm more about. What What are you doing next? Who knows, man? We've got to wait to come out of this first. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I feel feel really proud of what, you know, when you see festivals now. Yeah, when people break it down to you, like how you're breaking it down to us. Yeah, then then you see it for what it is. When you see festivals with 20,000 people, drum and bass festivals, Mm. and you see that it's come from Mm -hmm. a little club in London, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Amazing feeling. So on the opposite side of that, obviously when the scene split, hardcore went that way, jungle went that way. 
um, jungle and drum and bass just carried on going from strength to strength, yeah. whereas hardcore, not so much. Yeah, it's practically ass, dead now. Yeah. Um, it? What do you think hardcore did wrong? <laughs> oh, 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 I'm sorry if you're just tuning in now and you're not happy hardcore. Uh, there will be guests in the future that uh, aren't quite so scathing about it. Where do you think it went wrong for the hardcore scene? The jungle um, got so right. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't really. I've never really listened to hardcore, so I don't really know. I just, I just it just never appealed to me personally. But you know, I know it makes a lot of people happy. But with any music, it's like garage. With any music, you have to keep innovating and have to keep pushing it forward. One hundred percent. That is a really, no really good People answer. say they like on the true. dance floor and they want to hear all the classics all the time. Yeah, forget true, about true. that. You have to keep pushing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, that's, and jungle and drum and bass always keeps pushing. Yeah. And that's that's a problem. Garage that's, had garage has that problem. And dubstep had dubstep that problem. had that problem. They Same stop innovating. Yeah, you see, so why is I, that? I look at flyers and um, I see in the drum and bass scene throughout the years different names, new artists, yeah. new acts. And I look at a hardcore flyer, and it's the it's same people them, that right, it was it? in the early nineties. So what? People. So why? Why? What was it about jungle and drum and bass that attracted those innovators? It's part of the music. Yeah, that, that's what's the beauty about it. Is it's part of the music. It's pushing forward is a part of it. Staying staying stuck isn't what. We you do. know what? As well, because I think you get you get people that will try something. They're, they're always willing to experiment and they're very techy. They're very geeky. A lot yeah. of them are very geeky. They're into new, 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 new ways of doing things. And so they always updating their software and stuff like that. And then you hear it in the music, they always want to try something different. Just like in the early days when we used to go music house and cut dubs, there's a competitiveness yeah. And, and, and but it's in, in a good way. Yeah. But someone comes with a tune, and everyone's like, "I need to better." That. But the thing is, once somebody comes with a tune, there's a million copies of that tune. Yeah. And then somebody wants to push it again, and then there's a million copies of that tune. Yeah. yeah. So we always keep pushing. People will say that Happy Hardcore was stymied by greed and uh, not allowing fresh talent to come through. And as I say, you know, the same names on the flyers gives you that impression. Mm. Is there a, more of a generosity of spirit in 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 drum and bass and jungle music to allow new talent to come through on the basis that they know that it will help? The difference the is you've got to have talent. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You can't stop. You can't stop talent. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I, if I mean, Happy Hardcore did a pretty good job of stopping talent. I don't know. Did they have any talent? That's the question. I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh! This is So, by the way, we've got we've got Slipmat coming next. We've already recorded it, and no, Slipmat said that Paul Kingsize tune was the I best tune he'd released. This is the opposite, basically. I personally don't know that music. I've never been a really been a big fan, so I don't know how it works. But I know this music that we're dealing with. It's, it's, it's more special than a lot of other music like because it keeps pushing it's part of the music so I don't know how that works in Happy Hardcore Did it, they it keep doesn't pushing? no That's Happy <laughs> Hardcore I think Happy Hardcore I think with, with Happy Hardcore there's still elements in Happy Hardcore that you know the stabs and, and, and the, the way vocals are done that, you know, they, they, they could improve, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. You know, they, but I don't listen to I it, think so that's I don't know. the problem with happy hardcore is that is their sound. And if you take that out, it's not happy. Hardcore it's not happy anymore. hardcore anymore. So it's, it's, it's very, the, 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 what makes happy hardcore, happy hardcore. I don't really think you can change it and you can't really develop it. Whereas drum and bass has got so much, it's got, jungle it's got jazz it's got fun no, you can change got... happy hardcore you just gotta be brave that's all mm. just gotta be brave man 
And you were one of the pioneers of uh, groove of jungle techno, where there was that four beat sometimes with the break beat. Do you see yourself ever uh, that ever coming back? That's this question from Dave Skywalker. Uh, do you ever see that coming back, or would you ever consider I think, I doing think, that? I mean, me personally, who knows, man? I just I'm not going to close the door on it. Do you know what I mean? Because things change. Music goes around in circles, so that will come back at some yeah, point. Will, you know, course, yeah, yeah. There are a few right. people doing it. Tim Reaper does a bit of it. Yeah. Uh, Coco so, Bryce does some. And never, the old, old sounding new stuff. It can never be negative to anything, man. It's just good or bad. Isn't it? If it sounds good, then you're going to play it, right? That, that's what I love about drum and bass as well, is that there's artists that I don't even know. And they're doing their thing and they've got big followings. And I don't really know their stuff because it's not really my cup of tea. But that's great. That's what I love about it because they're just yeah, out man. there doing, and you know, one day they'll make a tune that I like, you know, and, and, and that's what, you know, that's what I love about it. It's so widespread. Uh, finally, uh, one final question. We've interviewed the, uh, the pioneers of Jungle and Drum and Bass. That's you, by the way. Uh, and uh, we've also interviewed the, uh, the pioneer of Happy Hardcore Sound, uh, DJ Slipmat. If you could hear anybody interviewed on this podcast, who would you like to in- hear interviewed and why? What, what, out of like... What, out of the 90s rave scene. Anyone. Artists. Anyone at all. Anyone at all. Vocalists, yeah. MCs, anybody. Uh, I don't know. Always talk to Bookham. Yeah, 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 We, yeah, we yeah. would love to. Yeah. We would love because to. Because he's, he's a really mysterious, and I love the fact... Yeah. But I know Danny, and I don't know Danny, so yeah, yeah I don't want you to talk to the people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> find out some shit that we don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Bookham, he's, because he's got an ear of mystery about yeah. him then. And he's we we love the guy. I mean, yeah. he's very funny as well. Yeah. He's he's very very funny. So yeah, get Bookham on here, man. Talk to Bookham, man. Yeah, we're gonna try, aren't we? Well, we've got we've got big plans for this podcast. We're gonna try and interview as many people as we can, as broad as we can. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, by the way, to submit, make your suggestions about who you'd like to hear interviewed on this podcast, you can do so. The email is hello at the nineties rave podcast and that doesn't have to be suggestions. It can be anything at all. We want to hear all your memories. We're celebrating nineties rave scene on this podcast. It's the only podcast out there that does it. Uh, it's your podcast. So get in touch with us. Hello at the nineties rave podcast and we're also on all the social channels. You just have to search for Raw the nineties rave podcast. Um, sadly, that's it from Fabio and Groove Rider. You've been amazing, chaps. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for inviting really us into really your house. That. Really yeah, enjoyed Thank that. you. Nice one. And that's it from me, Chrissy Richards, and, and me, me, Tom Latcham. Keep listening. There's plenty more to come. Loads of great stuff to come. Here at Raw, we've got some fantastic future episodes recorded and ready to go, including the godfather of hardcore DJ Slipmat and top of the pops smash hit artist and pioneer of breakbeat hardcore, none other than Lunacy of Night Force Records. We want to make more great episodes featuring all your favourite artists, but we really need your help to fund them. In return, you could get yourself some neat signed artwork, which is exclusive to Raw. Head over to our page at gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast to become a part of this exciting new project. Stay tuned to our Facebook, Twitter and Insta accounts for more announcements. Laters!